Amen. Thank you, Peter and the team. Good morning, everyone. So if you are visiting with us in person this morning or maybe visiting online, we're glad you're here. Uh, you might be wondering what's up with the suitcase on the stage. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called Rethinking Freedom uh, and trying to come to grips with freedom in Jesus Christ. And we've had this kind of metaphor hanging over us, not every week, but we've kind of alluded to it from time to time. And it's the reality that every single one of us carries with us. Now, of course, we're not all walking around with a literal suitcase the whole time, uh, but metaphorically, each one of us has luggage. We have baggage. And in that baggage are often a whole bunch of things that they, they limit our freedom. In fact, they enslave us. They ensnare us. And, and it is Christ who wants to set us free. Uh, that's what we've been looking at in Paul's letter to the churches dispersed in Galatia, which in the Bible is conveniently labeled Galatians. And in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he explains to us that freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And so today we're kind of continuing with that theme, and, and as uh, kind of we've been going through, you know, we've all got some baggage. Um, I know some of you are going, okay, what's in Brian's baggage? This isn't Brian's baggage. This is indicative of many other people's baggage. Well, I'm sure something in here is probably in mine as well. Uh, you can try to figure it out, but let's have a look at what's in Brian's baggage today. Well, we've got a bottle of wine. 2019 Chardonnay, Okanagan Valley. That should be pretty good. Got a couple of beer cans here. It's the Christian beer. It has a cross. It must be. Uh, we've got some prescription medication, triple uh, X rated DVD. Maybe, you know, let's put that under there. Uh, oh, US dollars. That could go. Maybe I'll hold on to that. Uh, we've got some lotto tickets. I wonder if they've won anything. Maybe scan those. Oh, Chocolate-covered, cream-filled donuts. Oh, that's too good to pass up. That is, I can't, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to bear with me for a moment. Oh, that's my weakness right there. Mm. Oh, how good is that? Oh, it's not cream, it's custard. It's like a Boston cream. Oh, anybody want one? Check, nobody even puts up their hands. They were like, no, we're too strong. Mm. Oh. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Mm. Maybe we'll hold on to that for later. Mm. Oh, oh. Mm. I'm sorry, you're missing out. Totally. Mm. You know, as I tuck into that Boston uh, donut kind of custard, cream filled, chocolate covered, mmm. It reminds me of a, of a guy, real guy in history. In the 14th century, Reynold III of Belgium. Now, Reynold III was Duke of Belgium. And it's often the case, there was a lot of kind of conflict, particularly conflicts within families. Uh, and his brother didn't think that he should be Duke. And part of why he didn't think that he should be Duke was because Reynold was commonly known by his Latin uh, nickname. And his Latin nickname was Crassus. Uh, of course, most of you probably didn't do Latin. Uh, Crassus simply means fat or the fat. So you can kind of guess what Reynold may have looked like based on his nickname. And of course, his brother Edward 
decided that Reynolds shouldn't be the duke. Reynolds shouldn't have this power. He shouldn't be in charge. I want it. And so he kind of had this little battle with his own brother. And he overthrew his brother. And now being a gracious brother, he didn't simply execute Reynolds. He put Reynolds in prison. In fact, they built a, a little prison up in, in the castle Newkirk where he, he put his brother. But he, Edward was really gracious towards Reynolds. Edward said to Reynold that you're not a prisoner. You're free to leave whenever you want. And the problem was, Reynold was of rather large stature. And his brother built the prison around him with a slightly narrower and slightly smaller door than is normal. Uh, a door that anybody could have gone through, except, of course, Reynold. And the door was left unlocked. Edward kept saying to his brother, you're not a prisoner here. You're free to go whenever you want. With one small little thing. Every day, Edward would send to Reynolds' prison a selection of rich, delectable foods. Fatty foods, sugary foods. Uh, being the duke and being of royal, royalty, uh, they, were, you know, they were not left for any want. They could give anything and everything. And so this food came to Reynolds daily. And isn't that just an interesting metaphor, an interesting image do you know that Reynolds stayed in his prison for nearly 10 years? The only reason he was released after 10 years, uh, they had to actually break the walls open so that Reynolds could get out of his prison, was because his brother Edward died. And so somebody came along and thought, this is really just this cruel and unusual punishment. We need to let Reynolds go free. But Reynolds' health was so bad that he died within a year anyway. So you kind of left thinking that, well, well, what was Reynolds' prison? Was it really the prison cell? Is it the prison cell that kept Reynolds there? Or was it his own uncontrolled and uncontrollable appetite for that food that kept coming into his presence? He could have stopped eating, reduced his calorie intake. He could have walked around his prison cell a little bit and had some exercise. But instead, he chose to keep eating and eating, only growing in size and being kept in this prison. In this prison, sorry. And as I look at that and as I listen to that story, it kind of reminds me that isn't that really how so many of us live? Perhaps not with food and perhaps not in that same situation as Reynold, but that so many of us live in prisons of our own making. We live in, in cells where uh, we're, we're enslaved by our own desires, by our own uh, pleasures and lusts. And the only way we will find freedom, as we've been going over these last few weeks, I believe, is in and through Jesus Christ. Today, if you've kind of taken notes, the, the title is Freedom from Addictions. It is my belief that each and every one of us have some sort of addiction, something that enslaves us, something that has got us bound. We're, we're a prisoner, not perhaps to food, but to something else. And it is also my belief that it is Jesus Christ who gives us freedom. You know, I'm busy reading a book by Jerry Bridges called The Pursuit of Holiness. 
where he, he makes this case for why we should be pursuing holiness and how holiness is something that we're called to be holy because God is holy. But yet many of us believe that holiness is something that God does to us. That God will simply kind of click his fingers and boom, suddenly I'm holy. Whereas that's not the reality. That's certainly not what scripture teaches us. And so Jerry Bridges puts it this way. He says, farming is a joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer cannot do what God must do. And God will not do what the farmer should do. And he uses that metaphor of farming to show us that even in holiness, in overcoming our addictions, in overcoming the temptations that ensnare us, there is a role for each and every one of us to play. That we can find freedom. The thing is, we need to choose to walk in that freedom. We need to step away from our addiction. We need to step out and make the choice to do the right thing. That means that every time we're, we're faced with the choice, will I, will I take another bite of my cream-filled donut? Will I take another sip of that alcoholic drink? Will I click on that link that takes me to that website again? Will I listen to that juicy morsel of gossip? Will I reach for that medication, whether, whether prescription or illicit? Will I do these things for that brief moment of pleasure, or will I choose instead to walk in freedom? You know, it is my belief that you and I probably don't need to have our addictions pointed out. We know what they are. Uh, yes, yeah, sure, many of us have no addiction to perhaps drugs, and, and so we kind of go, oh, I don't, I don't have any addictions. But yet when we start to think through all those other things that can so easily kind of ensnare us, we realize that you and I have addictive personalities. And we need to find freedom. Now, I, I kind of need to give a quick disclaimer. You know, I'm talking about freedom from addictions. Addiction is certainly a huge topic and a huge subject. It's one that fills libraries. It, it fills medical journals. The, the world of psychiatry and psychology has pages and pages on this topic of addiction. And so I would be foolish to think that in 30 minutes up here, I can tell you everything about addiction. I'm not trying to do that this morning. Instead, what I want to do is have a look at what could the scriptures say to us in response to this topic. But aware that many of us, this is really just one part of a longer and bigger journey. Many of us might need extra help, and I'm going to touch on that later on. But I also want to really stretch you and challenge you this morning. So often when we talk about addiction, we always think, you know, it's so easy to just go to those negative things. And those, you know, like drugs or pornography or alcohol, there we go. And so some of us sort of go, well, I'm not addicted to that, so I'm not addicted. Yet maybe we're addicted to uh, pride. You know, it's, it's all about our name. We want people to acknowledge us. Do you know who I am? Maybe we're addicted to uh, the pursuit of wealth and, and we sacrifice family because we're becoming workaholics. Maybe we're addicted to our own families, and, and you might kind of go, that just sounds absurd. Yet many of us give and sacrifice for our families because that's everything. That's our identity. 
And Jesus goes, no, your identity is in me. And anything that replaces that, anything that replaces that identity, whether it's good in and of itself, can so easily become an addiction. And I think it is time that each and every one of us stop and confess those things that we are addicted to so that we can leave them at the foot of the cross and find true freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, because of the nature of this subject and because of how huge it is and and because of how really it impacts every one of us, I think it's only fitting that we pause and we pray. After all, we're praying as a congregation, we're praying as a church during this month. We want to remind ourselves that any freedom we find is only in Christ when we ask for it. So let's pray together. Jesus, as we continue our conversation around rethinking freedom. We're reminded that you say to us, it is for freedom that you have come. That you want us to walk in freedom. You want us to experience freedom in life. And there's this this dichotomy we find ourselves in. It's almost a sense of irony that true freedom comes when we choose you and we submit to you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would be gentle with each one of us here this morning, whether here in person or watching online, that we would start to to feel that gentle work of the Spirit, revealing to us where are those areas, what are those things that we're addicted to? And then in your grace, would you help us confess would you help us repent would you help us turn from those things so that we might find true and lasting freedom in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone we pray this in your name and all God's people said amen amen let me define addiction first Uh, Dr. Gary Collins says, an addiction is any thinking or behavior that is habitual, repetitious, and difficult or impossible to control. In fact, when when we look at this word addiction and we try and understand it, we try and define it, there are really two meanings for this word addiction. It has two basic meanings. The first definition, and the one that we're probably most familiar with, is to cause to become psychologically or physiologically dependent on a habit-forming substance. Now, that's the definition of, uh, of addiction that most of us are familiar with. But the second definition of addiction is to occupy oneself or involve oneself in something habitually or compulsively. Now, for a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, anything where we find ourselves unnaturally obsessed towards or, or anything that replaces our pursuit for Christ can be something that we're addicted to. Perhaps we don't even realize. It doesn't have to be a detrimental drug addiction. It could be any, even a seemingly innocuous thing that takes our attention and takes our pursuits away from Jesus Christ. And even this thing can be detrimental to our faith and to our walk with God. When we kind of look at addiction, we have to ask the question, well, what causes addiction? Why is it that people seem to give in to addictive things and and, and kind of give in to this addictive personality? 
You know, one of the great struggles in dealing with addiction is both for the addict and society, I believe, to better understand what leads to it so that we're able to deal with that. Of course, there might be many factors that contribute to somebody uh, giving in to temptation. Uh, there are many and diverse factors that might tempt one to seek out and embrace an addictive behavior. And my choice of words there is deliberate. I'm using the word tempt, not the word cause. I think quite often we might look at something and go, well, you see, that causes me to do this. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that temptations come our way. There are these things that appeal to us. And as these temptations come to us, just like we read a moment ago, our flesh and our spirit wage war with each other. But even in that place, there is still a choice. We each have to take personal responsibility for our choices. You know, if I return to the illustration of Crassus uh, earlier on, no one forced him to eat that food. Uh, no one put a, a knife to his, his body. They didn't have guns back then. Uh, you know, nobody was trying to force him to eat and say, if you don't eat, you're, you're going to be killed. No. All they did was put food in front of him. It was his choice to consume that food or not. Now, of course, don't hear what I am not saying. I am not saying that for a drug addict or somebody who is chemically dependent on a substance that it is now a simple choice to choose not to. But I am saying that even for that individual, there is a choice in the process. Even if that choice is to simply acknowledge that what I am doing is destructive and I need help to overcome it, there is still choice in that place. So what causes addiction? Well, I think there, there are many categories. There are many reasons. I think there, there are physical reasons for addiction. You know, we might seek out pleasure, try and avoid pain. You know, people might say, well, you know, God made tobacco. God made marijuana. I hear this one pretty often. God made hops and barley and fermentation. And, and so if God made these natural things, surely he meant for us to enjoy them. You know, I read of one pastor who answered that question and said, God also made rattlesnakes. I sure would like to see you light one of those babies and take a toke. <laughs> but yet we seek pleasure. Or on the other side, we try and avoid pain. And so we try and, and deal with the pain of life. We try and deal with perhaps our history, our memories, maybe abuse in the past or, or some sort of tragedy. And, and we try and numb that pain. And so it becomes easier and easier to give in to temptations. And perhaps physically there, there is chemical dependency. And we know that to be true for drugs like fentanyl. We know that to be true for alcohol, for tobacco. Our body creates this chemical dependency and, and we simply struggle. I, I don't want to say we cannot, but the struggle becomes more and more. Of course, for some of us, one of the physical reasons could even be genetic disposition. Perhaps there is alcoholism that seems to run in the family and there's this genetic makeup that leads towards that. Other times, it is simply habit. 
You know, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. And if we start getting into the habit of making certain choices that are detrimental, we find ourselves doing them without thinking. It's like that individual who arrives home from work and in their mind they've decided I've had a stressful day and without even thinking they reach into the fridge and pull out a beer or a glass of wine. Or maybe they don't do that, but out of habit they sit on the couch and flip open their phone and they start scrollaxing. And before you know it, an hour's gone by. Or maybe they're playing Candy Crush or something. I think there are also social reasons for addiction. You know, we talk about peer pressure. You know, I've discovered as I'm maturing, I'm still, I believe myself young, although my kids disagree with me. <laughs> peer pressure isn't just something that teenagers face. You know, we're always talking about children and teenagers have all this peer pressure, and they do for sure. But do you know how much peer pressure I get to play golf? <laughs> and not just to play golf, but to get better equipment? There's peer pressure. And we have peer pressure all the time. We just don't notice it. Or, or maybe some of the social reasons are our own home life. The writer of the Proverbs sums this up in Proverbs 17 verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And maybe for some of us that's what leads us into addiction and into dependencies. Because there's so much strife at home. That we're just trying to avoid that. And of course, there, there are so many other reasons. There are mental reasons for addiction. Perhaps our personality. Uh, maybe such mental health issues as depression or stress or anxiety. Or maybe even our own identity issues. And so we wrestle with this addiction. You know, the Bible speaks about there's also a spiritual reason for why we struggle. We read those verses a moment ago in Romans and in how our flesh wages war. Our flesh just wants to do the wrong thing. And the word the Bible uses is sin. We simply choose sin because we think it will give us what we want in the moment. The problem with sin is sin will give us momentary pleasure, to be sure. There's a reason we keep choosing the addictive behavior we choose, because it gives us pleasure. If it hurts in the moment, we wouldn't do it. But all sin will give us is momentary pleasure. But as it gives momentary pleasure, so it takes away lasting joy. And slowly but surely, we fall prey and we fall victim into this addiction. Perhaps it's not just sin. Perhaps sometimes we distrust God. And we see that image right in the Garden of Eden. When Satan comes to Eve and, and he says, did God really say? He's trying to get Eve and he's trying to get us to doubt God's goodness. We don't believe God has our best interest in heart. And so therefore, we have to take control of our own life. And, and we think we've got to be in charge. Because we don't trust God. Now, of course, I could go on for hours on the causes of addiction. And the bottom line is this, there are legitimate factors that help us better understand the existence and power of addiction. There are reasons, 
But again, I want to remind you the reasons for addiction are not excuses for addiction. The presence of anyone or, or even all of those factors that I just mentioned doesn't compel one to give in to addiction. At the point of temptation, there is still a choice. In fact, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can endure it. Yeah, I mentioned last week, we're free to choose our actions, but not the consequences. This rings true within the world of addiction. We're free to choose. We're free to make those choices, but we are not free to choose the consequence. And addiction always has consequence. You know, just like I spoke about physical causes of addiction or spiritual causes or mental or social causes of addiction, I could just as easily say that there are physical, social, mental, and spiritual consequences when we give in to addiction. When we give in to addiction, there is always, the result is always destruction and dependency. Destruction, whether to self or to others or, or relationships and dependency. It might not happen straight away. It might not happen in that first few moments. But over time, there will be destruction and dependency. So what does the Bible say? How do we approach addiction from a spiritual perspective? Dr. Gary Collins, the same doctor I quoted earlier, says this. God's holy word, the Bible, gives us all of the principles that we need to understand, reject, and defeat addictions in our lives. They can be summarized according to what attitudes and expectations we are to avoid and what initiatives we must take and live by. What initiatives we must take and live by. Doesn't that sound a little bit like that farming analogy or that farming illustration that there is a part for us to play within this? You know, over the last few weeks as we've gone through Galatians, we've read great chapters and kind of expounded on chapters. And this morning, I'm clearly not doing that. But there are a couple of verses in Galatians that speak to this topic. Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5 verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, when we think about addiction, when we think about how to respond to it, I think even the writer to the Proverbs kind of touches on this when he writes in Proverbs 6 verse 27, can a person carry fire next to their chest and clothes and not be burned? And it's that image. Some of you might kind of think to yourself, well, sure, Brian, I, you know, I agree with you. I, I have an addiction. But is my addiction to Candy Crush really so bad? You know, it's, it's not as bad as alcohol. You know, I'm not going to get in the car and possibly cause an accident. Is it really that bad? 
well, we could debate that and discuss that. But I think the writer to the Proverbs would say, regardless, if you think you're carrying just a tiny little flame or you're carrying a great big fire in your chest, at some point it will burn you and your clothes. Get rid of it. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That verse encourages me to realize that my Savior, Jesus Christ, was faced with all sorts of temptations, yet he did not give in. He was without sin. Because he fully understood that there is always a choice. And whenever temptation comes our way, there is always a way to get out and to get away. So how do we apply what Scripture says around temptation? How do we actually live out the the so what in terms of temptation? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, I think it's quite simple. Firstly, do not. Do not... Be mastered by anything but Christ. That's the whole theme of Galatians chapter 5. Remember I said that last week. You can choose your master, but not the demands. And so Paul is saying, do not be mastered by anything but Jesus Christ. But not only do not be mastered, do not believe that your addiction will take your problem away. Whatever that addiction is, don't for a moment believe that, well, I need this because it it makes me feel better, or I need this because it, it takes my problems away. No, it does not. And do not buy into the lie that your addiction is harmless. It is not. There are always consequences to addiction. But that's the do not category. What should we do? Well, Galatians 5.16. Do walk by the Spirit. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 as well, don't just walk by the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. And that passage of don't get drunk, don't get filled by alcohol, don't allow that drunkenness to consume you and take over. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So do walk by the Spirit. Do utterly depend on Christ. You know, when we were praying this morning before the service, one of the prayers was along the lines of we deal with this conflict all the time. Who or what will we depend on? Paul says to us, do depend on Christ. And then do practice Do practice self-discipline and self-control or temperance. Those themes run throughout the New Testament. And this is why I will go back to what I said earlier. Don't for a moment think that, well, if I simply just pray and believe, God will take it away and he'll change my personality. Now, yes, God has done that for some people miraculously. But for the rest of us average Joes, God says, I expect you to walk. I expect you to do, I expect you to practice self-discipline. You know, I joked last week about my caffeine addiction. You know, I genuinely think I used to be addicted to coffee. And most pastors are, it's an occupational hazard. 
We visit people, we visit with people, uh, and it's generally frowned upon to visit in a pub, so we visited coffee shops. And, and so it got to the point where I was drinking seven, eight cups of coffee a day without even noticing. But about a year ago or so, I was chatting with my counselor and I was saying, you know, I'm struggling to sleep. You know, I'm just, I can't sleep. I'm, I feel jittery. I feel wired all the time. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's stress or something like that. And my counselor kind of went, well, how much coffee do you drink? And I said, I don't think you should go there right now. No, I, I didn't. I kind of stopped and I thought, and I went, well, six, seven, eight cups a day, maybe. Hey, Brian, I think we found your problem. <laughs> you, just, you need to cut that back. And so last September, I had what my counselor called sad September. I went cold turkey for coffee for a month. You, you didn't want to be around me for those first few weeks. Ask the staff, they'll tell you. And so during September, I, just, I cut it out. And it was amazing the difference physiologically I felt by the end of the month. I found myself sleeping so much better. In fact, I found myself waking up naturally. I didn't need my alarm clock. And I didn't need that first cup of coffee. And, and some of you know that feeling. Where you stumble out of bed like a zombie. And you head to the kitchen. And you push start on the coffee maker that you prepared the night before. Because your personality is waiting for that black liquid gold. And I, I didn't need that anymore. Now, I'm not bragging. I, I'm, I'm not being arrogant or anything. I drink coffee again, yes, but now I limit it to about two cups a day. But you see, the thing is, when we have addictions, there is a part you and I have to play in overcoming and the Bible says we have to practice self-control and self-discipline. We conquer our addiction when we apply biblical principles. There is always hope. It doesn't matter what addiction you're struggling with or you're facing. Whether it's a socially acceptable addiction like caffeine or something far worse. There is always hope and there is always help. The Holy Spirit will indeed give to those who ask and will walk with those who ask. The only question that we need to wrestle with as we try and determine the outcome of our struggles with addiction is, do we trust Jesus enough to let him help us? Do we really want Jesus more than what that addiction promises to give us? I think, as I've said, we need to learn to walk by the Spirit Depend on Christ and practice self-discipline and self-control. As I close off this morning, I want to close with a, a humorous story. There was a preacher who was winding up his sermon about temperance and, and not giving in to alcohol and drunkenness. And so as this, as this preacher is winding up, he makes the comment, If I had all the beer in the world, I would take it and throw it in the river. To which the congregation cried, Amen! And if I had all the wine in the world, I would take it and throw it in the river. The congregation cried, Amen. And if I had all the whiskey and rum in the world, I would take it all and throw it in the river. And the congregation cried, Amen. And after the sermon, the preacher sat down. The worship leader stood up and said, For our closing hymn, let us turn to page 126 and sing, We Shall Gather at the River.
Overcoming addiction is not easy, but it is possible. It is not easy, but it is possible. And I implore you, don't walk out of here this morning being confronted, thinking through that addiction that you're wrestling with and simply ignoring what Scripture has said, what we've heard this morning, and going back to the river, as it were, to give in to that temptation again. I know that for some of you, perhaps just a handful of you this morning, these few minutes are really just, you know, scratching the tip of the iceberg for you. You might indeed need help. You might need counseling. You might need so much more than just making that choice and and maybe kind of confessing to one person and having somebody hold you accountable. Don't see that as a sign of weakness. Don't allow Satan to come along and to accuse you and to say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that as a good, strong Christian. Look at you needing help from somebody else. My brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need to support each other, we need to walk with each other, and we need to encourage one another. And sometimes the help we need is professional help. And I would encourage you this morning, if the Spirit of God is at work within you and slowly pointing out those areas that need work, if you need a support structure, then get a support structure so that you can find and experience true freedom in Jesus Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that in your sovereign wisdom, you saw and you knew that we as your creatures had rebelled and and walked away from you. But instead of turning your back on us or instead of rejecting us and writing us off, you stepped from eternity into your creation. You took on flesh as Jesus Christ. And you became our Lord and Savior. And you did so, Jesus, in order to free us from the grip and snare of sin. You did so in order to give us eternal life. And so, Jesus, yes, we we accept that eternal life. Many in this room have done that. They've they've invited you into their lives and they've, they've chosen to have or chosen to believe in you. But Lord, you didn't just come for an eternal sense of spiritual freedom. You came to give us life and you came to give us freedom daily that we would experience the freedom that you give. Yet God, so many of us wrestle Our flesh wages war against the spirit at work in us. And our flesh just wants to keep going back to that thing that ultimately will destroy us. Just like that illustration of a dog returning to its vomit. That's what we choose to do when we keep giving in to temptation. Father, I pray that we would discover That you want to set us free even from that. You don't condemn us. You don't hold us in judgment. You give us forgiveness and grace. And so I pray for each person here this morning. Whether they might see their uh, addiction as being 
socially acceptable. Father, I pray that you would show them the impact. Father, for those in this room this morning who really are wrestling with deep addictions, where there has become a, a chemical dependency or, or a, it's almost their personality is wrapped up in it. God, I pray that they would find the support structure necessary to break free in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for your freedom. Help us to walk in freedom. Amen. Amen.